Robertson McQuilkin was the president of a Bible college. And being the president of the Bible college and his wife uh, suffering with Alzheimer's, uh, he, that was his, uh, in a sense, a farewell speech. <laughs> it was saying goodbye to the college that he had served so well and the people that he had loved so that he could serve his wife. And so today, we tried to figure out what is the best way to, to end after having such an incredible night uh, last night. And so I told Robin, hey, we're going to change everything. He did. <laughs> no notes. So, uh, surprise Robin. <laughs> I just... Surprise you. Yes. <laughs> the, the wonderful thing that, that I realized... We always want to be, uh, we prepare, but we want God to speak through us. And I don't always ever want to be so tied to what I've prepared that God has no space to move. And so after last night, really trying to figure out what, uh, what is it that God would uh, have us end with. And so I want to leave you with three things. Robin and I want to share these three things. It's not going to take that long because really you've drunk in a lot, a lot of details, and there are so many things uh, we're always ever learning. But we want to give you three things, how to make your marriage thrive, okay? That's what we, we want to end with. And starting with uh, this video with Robertson McQuilkin, till death parts us. So here's the first habit. Write down the word habit if you have a pen. We want you to develop some great habits on the way home. And the first habit is the habit of extravagant love. The habit of extravagant love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 says, You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. To love one another. And we know that extravagant love displays or it imitates the love of God. Extravagant love is exclusive. It, this is a love that's saying, I will love you. I will love you for a lifetime. It's one person who has my heart for a lifetime. And that's my commitment to Robin. You have my heart for a lifetime. And this extravagant love, it's not because we deserve one another's love. It's because we choose to give that love to one another. There's a, a quote. It says, the question is asked, is there anything more beautiful in life than a young couple clasping hands and pure hearts in the path of marriage? Can there be anything more beautiful than young love? And the answer is given, yes, there's a more beautiful thing. It is the spectacle of an old man and an old woman finishing their journey together on that path. Their hands are gnarled, but still clasped. Their faces are seamed, but still radiant. Their hearts are physically bowed and tired, but still strong with love and devotion for one another. Yes, there is a more beautiful thing than young love old love. 
And so our desire for you is to go the distance and that your marriage would not be uh, like most of our culture, mm. that it's one, uh, a marriage that only lasts for a little while, but to go the distance in this extravagant display of exclusive love. It's also a love that is expressed. Uh, it's repeated often through words and through actions. It is something that you uh, determine over and over to say to your wife, to say to your husband, I love you, I'm with you. It's expressed, as we said, in the hard times, in the difficult times, in the great times. It, it's expressed when you're young and in love. It's expressed when you're in those middle years and you've got teenagers and you don't think you'll ever get through it. And it's expressed in the older season of life as well. When you have raised your children and your grandchildren are older. There is one couple here, and it was so exciting to me because they said, what do we do? Is there any seminars on how to give your life, I'm paraphrasing, how to give your life away after you've retired? And, and the wife had tears in her eyes. She says, because we've got more to give. We have more to offer. And the foundation of that is that extravagant love is exclusive, it's expressed, it's extraordinary. It places your spouse's needs above your own. Well, I want to go back to express because one of the things that I fight to do in our home, and you guys all know that we have a lot of kids, and when the kids come home, it's every man for themselves when the food is set out. And so usually if we're having hamburgers or whatever or fried chicken, I make a special piece for Ray. I make a, the biggest burger, and I may even stuff it with some bacon and cheese, you know, <laughs> and, and that's for him. And everybody in our home knows that that's the way that mommy is, is doing something special for daddy, and you better not touch that burger. <laughs> and so that's important when we express it that everybody knows. Your expression of this love is so everybody knows and everybody sees it. And don't fake it, because they can tell when you're faking it, but make it real and genuine. And so what we're trying to say as we're wrapping a bow on the weekend is make this a habit. Make extravagant love a part of your life. Uh, you know, habits are those things that we do without thinking about it. I don't think about which shoe to put on first. Now, it is odd. If I try to put my left shoe on first, it feels weird. Because out of habit, I always put my right shoe on first. It's when you, it, it, we want you to develop such habit of extravagant love that it becomes a natural thing, that you are placing your spouse's needs above your own. Justice Robertson McQuilkin, in the end of his life, his, wife, his, wife's, his wife's life, he was able to give to her in an extraordinary way. So the first one, is extravagant love. Number two, here's the second habit. Generous forgiveness. Generous forgiveness. I've, I've got a lot to say on forgiveness. I feel like my life has been filled with uh, having to forgive. And we want to just give you a few points on forgiveness. Okay, the first one, generous forgiveness, begins with humility. Don't try to forgive with pride. It's something you will not be able to do. 
the beauty of humility and the beauty of this thing that the Lord laid out for us is that you can be humble and go to somebody and ask for forgiveness. And they usually, with the humility, believe what you're asking of them. But you know, go, but oh, go with them in pride and they will not believe it. Humility is so important when you experience this generous forgiveness. And you know, what's so difficult, what keeps us from forgiving other people is our pride. Mm. Because you don't deserve my forgiveness. You hurt me. And so I don't want to humble myself to say, not only am I, uh, there is a side where you ask for forgiveness, but that side of granting it, to say, I will forgive you. Uh, when you forgive, we demonstrate Christ-likeness and we model the gospel. Occasionally, I, I will wrestle with stories to tell because they become so personal. And I think of the idea of having generous forgiveness. You don't realize when you forgive your spouse, you're releasing yourself from the prison of resentment. You're the one who becomes free. Robin and I had the experience of when we would go back to Kansas City to visit, we would go and visit my father. And that's the home in which I experienced sexual abuse <coughs> was in his home or my grandparents' home. And one particular time when we were visiting my father, one of my uncles who was the abuser came through the door and I hadn't seen him in years. And we had our little kids with us. And right away, that hurt and resentment began to rise. And when he tried to hold one of my children, it was even worse. But I remember as I was experiencing that, I could hear the Lord whispering in my ear, Ray, I know he's not asked you to forgive, but will you forgive him? And through very hesitant internal wrestling with God, I said, yes, I'll forgive. Now that didn't mean that we were reconciled. It just meant that I freely would forgive. It was a few months later, I get a phone call, and they call me and they said, hey, your uncle is in the hospital and he has cancer. Would you pray for him? And I was thinking, no, I'm not going to pray for him. And God said, Ray, will you forgive? Yes, God, I'll forgive. Well, I want you to call him and pray for him. So I remember getting on the phone, calling the hospital and praying with him on the phone. It was only a few months after that that we got a phone call that he had passed away. And I really didn't want to go to the funeral, but I, I wanted to be there to support other family members, and I was so happy that my wife was with me. I remember us walking in to the church and the casket being up there. And I remember grasping Robin's hand and just thinking, I am so glad you're here to hold me up. And one of the other things I was so happy about is that I didn't have to sing at the funeral. I wasn't speaking at the funeral. I wasn't singing in the funeral. I'm looking at the program. I'm nowhere on the program. And I was very happy about that. A little halfway through the funeral, one of my aunts turned around and she whispers to me, we want you to sing. 
you have to know this, that in a lot of black churches and funeral places where there's a program, the program is just a suggestion. <laughs> and so it was there, she asked me to sing, and I was terrified. God, what? And I could hear him speaking to me, will you forgive? Even in his death, will you forgive? And I said, yes, God, I'll forgive. I want you to sing. And I remember walking up to the front of the church, honestly, not even knowing exactly what I was going to sing. But one of my favorite hymns came to my mind. I believe the writer is Charles Gabriel. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And the chorus goes, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. And it dawned on me. God was having me sing this song. You're singing it because you're what? Free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. You see, I tell you that story because I don't know how hurt you've been in your life. I don't know how your spouse has hurt you. Over the years, we obviously hurt each other. But there's... Such great uh, godliness, gospel preaching that happens when you generously forgive. And I remember that day feeling free. Not because my uncle had ever asked for forgiveness. Not because we were ever really reconciled. But because I forgave from the heart. So when we talk about this generous uh, habit of forgiveness, this is an incredible gift that you give to your spouse. Uh, generous forgiveness, let me go on, it's, it's offered quickly. Generous forgiveness is applied freely. And generous forgiveness, I see some of you writing, let me slow down. <laughs> generous forgiveness is offered quickly. And I'm talking about with your spouse. You know that woman. You know that man. But I can tell you this. It is God who will truly change them. And you offer it quickly. Generous forgiveness is applied freely. And number three, it's expressed graciously. It keeps no record of wrong. I love this saying by Marlene Dietrich. She said, once a woman has forgiven her man, she must not reheat his sins for breakfast. And vice versa. It goes both ways. Yes. She just happened to write it. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, Robin, what do you, th I mean, I know I've been doing most of the talking on this. I mean, what comes to your mind when you think of forgiveness? In, in the I, I, I want to live free. And so maybe that's the reason that I am so, um, I'm not brass, but just let's get to the point here. Hmm. I want to live in a free, I don't have a lot of time to live. I feel like today could be my last day. And everyone in here should feel that way because then you live free. 
And that means you need to forgive so that God's glorified. I don't care what I do. I care that God is represented great in my life. And I pray that same for you. You want the Lord to be represented so well in everything that you do and everything that you say. And we're real quick to go to scripture and whatever I, whenever I eat and drink, want to do everything to the glory of God. But then we treat our husbands like trash. But the Lord wants us to forgive immediately. Now, where it says to do this, and let me go down. Offer your forgiveness freely. I mean, quickly is what it says. Mm-hmm. Offer it quickly. That may not be like you're forgiven, okay? Let's pretend like this didn't happen. Forgiveness is one of those things that may take time, but are you willing to offer it quickly? Is your heart in the place where you can say, I'm going to forgive you. I just need a minute. And I think that's the most important thing that we can do. Do we have an attitude of forgiveness? And is this attitude of forgiveness something your spouse knows is ever present in your life? Because if they don't know it's there, then they won't come even to seek forgiveness for you to even try to grant it. So make sure you have an attitude of wanting to offer forgiveness quickly. I I love that. I love what you just said because our forgiveness, you might not always feel like it, right? And I love the fact of having an attitude or a willingness. It might, you might give me a moment. I know that even with uh, my family members that I've had to forgive because of the abuse, it's taking me over time. You know, it's like, okay, I forgive, and then I'm tested, and then, oh, I need to forgive again. Oh, this hurt has come up again. Oh, I need to forgive again. So it's a process. Even though you offer it quickly, as Rob has said, it's more coming with the attitude of wanting it quickly. Okay, okay so um, what was the first point? Was extravagant love. Extravagant love, second. Generous forgiveness. Generous forgiveness. And the final one is the habit, and I want everybody to hear me say this, <laughs> the habit of enthusiastic encouragement. Now, since I stepped on this platform on Friday, I told you I used to be a cheerleader. And so in my cheerleading days, I would never put my team down. In the same way in your marriage, you should never put your spouse down. You are supposed to enthusiastically encourage him. How do you do this? Number one, by openly affirming your spouse. I'm going to give you a minute to try that. All right? So I want you to look at your spouse. And I want you to say one thing about your spouse that you love out loud. Affirm them. Try it. We didn't say no kissing. That's encouraging. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But to openly do this, openly affirm your spouse. Guys, can you just turn around and look at the smiles on the faces around you? That's what you get every time you openly affirm your spouse. Your spouse is like, this person is for me. And it feels good to have somebody that you know is for you. And then number two, and this is a big one for all of us. How do we do this enthusiastic encouragement thing? We avoid critical words. It's so important that we do not allow the enemy to win. And what the enemy does is he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy everything that God has put in your marriage. 
And so we end up talking bad about each other. Avoid critical words. That's how you enthusiastically encourage. And then number three, maintain a positive attitude even in the hard times. Ray and I went through some pretty difficult things. You think, oh, they had a bunch of babies. It must have been easy. It was not easy. I almost died with a couple of babies. Um, it was very hard. There was a time when we were in seminary when we were dirt poor. I mean, like the food stamps dirt poor. But the food stamps hadn't come in yet, and we needed a loaf of bread because his mom wasn't. She had come in town, and she was going to help with the other kids. And so we were sitting on our bed counting out pennies because if we went to the Tom Thumb, we needed a loaf of bread, and it cost 34 cents. And so we were praying that we had 34 pennies. And at that time, I'm like, Ray, it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay because God does not forsake us. And we had 34 pennies. All right? Enthusiastically encourage. Make sure that you're building that man or that woman up and not tearing them down. Because every single one of us is going to have a hard time, either today or tomorrow, or you've been through it in the past. But in that hard time, you don't need somebody in your house spitting bad things at you or tearing you down. Because that's what the Bible says a foolish woman does. We are not a foolish woman. We are a wise woman. We're going to build our house. So we not only enthusiastically encourage, but we remember that combining these three ingredients, again, what are they? Extravagant, generous, generous forgiveness, enthusiastic, encouragement. And combining these three things makes you have a stronger, healthier marriage. And here's what we're going to demonstrate it this way, because we're going to have you stand in just a moment. So these are the three things. If you take nothing else away, we want you to put these three things down as a habit. We want this extravagant love, this generous forgiveness, and this enthusiastic encouragement to be a part of our household. And when you do that, your marriage will be a story that people will want to read. They will look, I promise you, they will look at you and go, what is happening in your life? What, why are you that way? What's happening? You, your marriage will sing and will cause people to applaud. We're going to demonstrate it this way. I want all the men to stand. Ladies, your man is about to sing to you. <laughs> all right, I just lost all the guys. Don't. No, this is really simple, guys. This is how we're going to end. This is how we're going to do, men. We're just going to sing the, the Christmas chorus, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. But the reason I want us as men to start, because this is how you were as a single man. Before your wife came into your life, we were all singing unison. It was just plain. It was good, but we were by ourselves. And so, men, I want us to sing that together. Sing the same words, the same tune, hopefully, <laughs> together. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let 
praise the Lord. Yes. Yes, men. And then one day, the Lord created a helper fit for you brothers. All right? And see, she's sashayed herself in front of her man. And he couldn't stand it. He's like, I need you to be by my side. And as a result, she brings in a whole different part and brings in a thing called harmony. So girls, would you stand up beside that man? And we're going to add some harmony to this thing and see how God creates it and makes it even more beautiful. Okay? So we're going to try this together. You soprano, sing soprano. Alto, sing alto. Tenor, you sing tenor. We're going to bring all of our harmonies together. It was good by yourself, men, but hear how it sounds when we're together. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. That's what people will say when you live this way. Amen. And so here's how we want to end. We give you all the glory. Amen. Let's sing it. We give you all the glory. In our marriages. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. Christ the Lord. Sing it out again. We give you all the glory. We give you all.